This is Channel Attitude. Your voice, your right, your freedom. This is Vince Russo's The Brand. Welcome, welcome to the Raw Attitude Era show. Today, we will be looking at Season 6, Episode 3, January 19th, 1999 in Fresno, California. Fresh off of the... Royal Rumble, and we got a lot to talk about. This was a solid show. This was a show I enjoyed very much. We're going to break down the very first hour of this show. But let me first tell you that this show is sponsored by Test X9. We get it. You want to raise your testosterone. But do any test boosters actually work? Well, I could tell you, Test X9 does. And we show you how at LegacySups.com with links to clinical studies on each of the nine key ingredients. No bull, no bro science, just the facts. Test X9 is NSF certified, third-party lab tested, and made in the U.S. of A. Now level up your strength, your energy, your libido, and drive now with Text X9 from Legacy Sports Nutrition. If you want to really level up, then go for the ultimate test stack by adding T-Assist, a pro-grade estrogen inhibitor and test enhancer, and the best-selling sleep aid, Recovery PM, and see why improving your sleep is the key to unlocking your mental and physical potential. Guys, did you know that the majority of testosterone release occurs while you sleep? That's why we put this stack together, and that's why it really works. Stop settling for average. Go to LegacySupps.com now. Use the code BRAND, all caps, B-R-A-N-D, for 10% off your entire order. If you subscribe to have it shipped every 30 days, you can still get the discount every single time. Now, this product is brought to you by... Three-time world champion Nick Aldis, 10-time women champion Mickey James, and guys, Nick developed and uses these products himself. So you know they work. LegacySupps.com, L-E-G-A-C-Y-S-U-P-P-S.com. Level up with Legacy, man. I want to thank I know a couple brand members have already ordered this and sent me some feedback on the product. I know the product works because I believe in Nick and Mickey, and they stand behind it 100%, man. You want to get healthy in the new year, this is where you start, bro. This is where you start, bro. 
Text Test X9. All right, guys, we are going to talk about the first Raw after the Royal Rumble. This was June 9, January 19, 1999 from Fresno, California. Sold out. And what they are hyping throughout this entire show is Mike Tyson returns to the ring. And we open up the show with The Undertaker's music and entrance. Now, the night prior at the Royal Rumble, we saw Kane and Paul Bearer in a coup. It was all a coup. We saw Kane throw his brother in a casket and light it on fire. And that was the last we sold of The Undertaker. So we play Take His Music and Entrance. And Paul Bearer comes out gloating. And he talks about him and Kane setting The Undertaker's casket on file at the Royal Rumble. That this was all a ruse from the beginning. Paul Bearer is gloating like I've never seen him gloat before. And he had tremendous, tremendous, tremendous heat. I wrote down here, what freaking facials. And like the greatest storyteller of all time, Paul Bearer goes over the entire backstory, talking about when Taker saluted his brother, he knew that he had him. I gotcha, dead man. Um Man, bro, this was storytelling at its finest in a wrestling ring. It was a lengthy promo, but Paul Bearer lost no one, bro. This was absolutely brilliant. Um, I noted here that um, I was watching this with with a smile on my face throughout the entire promo. This was Paul Bearer at his absolute best. He wraps up the promo by saying, Undertake is gone and will never return. And then we hear the mighty gong. The place goes nuts. The Druids wheel a casket down to the ring. JR is painting a beautiful picture of what happened last night once the casket was put out and the WWE officials pried it open because Kane and and Paul Bearer had locked it and they said Taker was not in the casket. So is this the first time we're going to see Taker? But no, another swerve. Kane is the one who comes out of the casket. So... Brilliant way to open the show. You've got my interest already. Paul Barra, Percy Pringle, William Moody, the most underrated promo of all time. They are promoting tonight Tyson making his way to the ring. They got a tie a shot at Tyson at the Royal Rumble where he is ripping up a sign that says um, WCW sucks and DX is up next. They are gathered in their locker room. We don't know yet what they're up to tonight. 
That's your hook going into the commercial break. We come out. We're in the DX locker room. Uh, we talk about the Royal Rumble. Triple H tells Owen that he needs to pack his bag and head down south like everybody else. Then Sean, Sean starts cutting a, a promo on The Undertaker um, that he really, really feels bad about what happened with The Undertaker and Kane and Taker being put in the casket, the casket, casket locked, and it being set ablaze. And Sean promises that tonight, tonight, DX is going to find The Undertaker, and they're not going to stop till they do. So there are two hooks right there, bro. We got Tyson uh, appearing on the show. We've got DX, who vows to find The Undertaker. And, of course, bro, we're going to hear from the winner of the Royal Rumble, and that is going to be a Stone Cold Steve Austin. The first match out the shoot is DOA against The Nation, This match turns into a brawl, which brings Mark Henry down, which brings The Rock down. We even decide with Shamrock and Ahmed, and we have what they call a real Donnie Brook, which is happening here. And the fans are going absolutely nuts. Bro, there is a tight shot of a Shamrock. And I swear to God, bro, his eyes were literally on fire. I've said this all the time, bro. I don't think I ever worked with anybody, anybody that showed the intensity of uh, of Ken Shamrock. From there, bro, we go to a hearse arriving at the building. Could DX have found The Undertaker? Great hook, bro. These are great hooks. Designed to keep you stay tuned for the show. Bro, up next, I popped huge. We had a Vic Venom commercial, bro. A Vic Venom. You want fluff eating effing marshmallow, bro? Send the cash. Send the cash. This was a great black and white uh, Vic Venom commercial. Do I got a boy here on my shirt? It's driving me crazy. There it is. Okay. From there, bro, we go to a match with Tom Brandy and Mark Merrow. Uh, of course, Sable comes out to another huge pop. Um, uh, Merrow is covering Sable up with a, a, a ring robe that says property of marvelous Mark Merrow. Brandy jump starts the match. Uh, during the course of the match, Sable is brought flowers down to ringside. We are not sure who they are from. Uh, Mero uh, sees, the, sees the flowers. He is hot. He cuts a promo on Sable. Um, that enables um, Tom Brandy to get on, on Mark Mero a little bit at what time. Sabre goes up on the apron, and Mero winds up low-blowing Tom Brandy. And uh, then he proceeds to beat Brandy with the flowers. So I'm assuming 
that Mark Merrow thinks that uh, Tom Brandy indeed sent the flowers ringside to Sable. I'm not so sure, bro. And I can't remember here off the top of my head how this goes down. Another good match between these two men, and, and I've said this before, Tom Brandy is really, really, really looking good, man. I think, unfortunately, for for uh, Brandy, that so many guys were over um, that as good as he looked and as well as he was performing, bro, there was quite the mountain to climb. I think really think that's what, what happened with Tom Brandy. Because I think he's doing a um, tremendous job in these matches with Mero. And as I always say, bro, Mero is always, always, always underrated and underappreciated. And a lot of that was because the heat that Sable got just because she was a woman and just because she didn't pay her dues. And, uh, you know, Mark had to deal with a lot of that political bullshit, which was just not fair to him, man. Mark Merrill was a great dude. He still is to this day. From, from there, bro, we go to the back. And DX is approaching the hearse that showed up. And it's pretty funny, bro, because they're going over their strategy. One, two, three. We're going to have China open the door. They go over that a couple of times. Finally, on the count of three, China does open the door. And all these hot chicks pour out. And they are hugging and kissing on Sean and Triple H. And uh, China sells this beautifully with a uh, with a disgusted absolutely disgusted look on her face. From there, bro, we go to the the door in the back that says Tyson. And we are continuing, bro, continuing Mike Tyson making his return to the ring. We come back from commercial break, bro, and the, the uh, limousines have shown up. And it's Mike Tyson and his entourage as they pull in. We open up the limo door. Shane McMahon comes out first, followed by Tyson. If you guys have remembered, man, I've told the story. I really do believe at this point in time, um, Vince had other motivations to not just bring in Tyson on on the uh, um, Royal Rumble. I, I really do believe, bro, Vince had ideas of managing Mike Tyson's career and how could he get a little bit of that action? Because like I told you, man, every time you saw Tyson, you saw Shane McMahon. Um, So I really do believe there was more there than going uh, than meets the eye. Obviously, that never came to fruition. But uh, could you imagine that, bro? Can you imagine if Vince McMahon was managing the career of Iron Mike Tyson? Who who knows um, what that would have looked like? But now the 
the limos arrive, and we head into the building. Um, we uh, we then go to the return of the Quebecers, bro, Pierre and Jacques Rougeau, and they both look great like a million bucks. This is their return to the WWE. Um, they're in a match against Chainsaw Charlie and um, Cactus Jack McFoley. And at this point, JR is making it clear that Chainsaw Charlie is indeed Terry Funk. Remember I told you, bro, this was a huge rib on um, Jim Cornette with the Chainsaw Charlie gimmick. And it was not my rib if, if it was. I would claim it. I wouldn't I wouldn't do that to Terry Funk because in ribbing Cornette, I think it was very, very, very disrespectful to um Terry Funk. But this came down from Vince, and I would not be surprised if Bruce Pritchard was in his ear. I don't know that to be a fact. Um, but I do want to make one thing perfectly clear. Even though he probably thinks it was me, um, I I did not come up with the Chainsaw Charlie character. I did not see that one coming. I was never, ever a fan of it. So I just want to make that perfectly clear. But now we're, we're making it clear to the fans that it is indeed Cherry Funk. Um, we have a wild match, a wild brawl, which was very entertaining. Uh, Mick winds up putting the claw on the referee, Mike Chioda. That causes um, a disqualification of Chainsaw Charlie and uh, Cactus Jack. Um, We then have a brawl at the outside. Terry Funk does a moonsault to the outside on everyone. This is when that was special, bro. Uh, And you really didn't see it that often, like 18 times during the show. Um, very, very, um, very, very entertaining this match was. And then at the end of the match, uh, Chainsaw Charlie Terry Funk actually lifts his mask up to let the people know it is, in fact, uh, Terry Funk. Like I said, man, I can understand why Vince rib cornet over this but i still uh i i still did I, I don't think it was right and i do think it was a little uh disrespectful but you know nonetheless um it is what it is from there bro we go to dx bro and they are still searching for the undertaker And then we go to a shot in the back of Mike Tyson, and he is talking to all the agents. All the agents are in the shop. Briscoe, Patterson, Greer was there. I saw Alonza there. Uh, Goulet might have been there. But, you know, we we are obviously teasing this big Mike Tyson in-ring. From there, we go to an NWA match. Speaking of Cornette, and off the bat, Cornette is not wearing glasses, so I know he's going to get involved physically. 
But we've got uh, uh, Jeff Jarrett and the entire NWA entourage is down there. We've got the Rock and Roll Connection and Jim Cornette. And he is uh, facing Black Jack Bradshaw with uh, his partner on the outside, Black Jack Mulligan. At the beginning of the match, and, um, you know, Jim Cornette is always one to criticize, but I could tell you this. At the outset of the match, um, all three of them jumped Bradshaw in the ring, the Rock and Roll Connection and um, Jeff Jarrett. They all jumped Bradshaw in the ring. Uh, Mulligan was on the outside, and he didn't do anything. And that's, I knew right then, because I don't remember this stuff, man. We wrote this a really long time ago. But I knew right then, okay, bro, the turn is coming. And that's why Mulligan did not get involved in that beatdown. So we have our match uh, through through the opening of the match, man. Bradshaw is really, really punishing uh, Jeff. Uh, Jeff is selling his ass off for Bradshaw. It looks very, very, very good. Then they do a spot where Wyndham goes to clothesline Jarrett. He dives out of the way, and he winds up clotheslining um, Bradshaw. We think it was a a, a miscue. Um. We think it was a miscue. That's how the announcers are selling it. Um, But we see that it is not. And then basically Wyndham turns on Bradshaw. Um, And like I said, man, it was really, really, really telegraphed because of uh, Wyndham's actions when Bradshaw was triple teamed at the very beginning of the match. So I I just don't like the way this was done um, technically because it really did give the, um, it did give the turn away. Um, But, you know, the story is good because Wyndham has a history with the NWA and now Cornette has brought Wyndham into the fold. So you've got your NWA faction of Jeff Jarrett, Barry Wyndham, and the Rock and Roll Express. So I understand why it was done. I was never a fan of the new Blackjacks. And I remember having heat with both Wyndham and Bradshaw because, you know, man to man, I told them I didn't think the new Blackjacks um, um, gimmick had had legs. I did not think it was going to be over. And, you know, I wanted them to go their separate ways and do something else. And this was the way that we did it. But obviously, at the time, uh, they didn't agree with me. Um, And I I think they literally had an issue with me from that point on. But, you know, again, bro, I'm going to tell you, man to man, to your face, if I think something's not going to get over. Um, and I did not think that gimmick was going to get over. So, you know, that was probably the start of the shaky ground with Bradshaw, even though, guys, I want to make one thing perfectly clear. I don't have any issues with these guys today. Me, me personally, I can't speak for them. You know, for all I know, bro, they can absolutely hate me. All I know is, man, 
I was getting paid to do a job. I was trying to do the best job I possibly could. I was trying to do what I thought was right. I wasn't playing politics. I wasn't playing favorites. No one wrestler had had favor over another wrestler. I did not play that game. But um, I just did not think that gimmick was going to work. So there we've got a turn. And uh, now we're going into the second hour, which should be really be dynamic. It should be classic. It is the first time we saw Mike Tyson in a WWE ring. And I am really going to break this down for you um, because I did have a lot of input in this uh, segment because everybody just assumed we're going to do the obvious. Just go with the obvious. And I said, no, go the other way. Everybody knows you're going to go this way. Throw the handbook out and go the other way. And thankfully, Vince agreed with that. And I thought that was much, much better than the original plan. But I will go over that with you next week, bro, when we go to part two, Season 6, Episode 3, January 19th, 1999. That is it, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that first hour of Raw. I will be back next week with Hour 2. Take care, everybody. <laughs>